that's what we do is bringing people together like that's the the biggest part i think of curious monkey is about bringing all sorts of different people together to help make um, and to come together to talk about and and create um theater hello you're listening to northern stages first podcast And when I say podcast, I probably mean conversation, a conversation that we held on Friday the 19th of March, one hour before the doors closed at Northern Stage in response to the coronavirus emergency. A conversation between me, Louis Ingham and Mark Calvert, both of us as Associate Directors at Northern Stage, and the remarkable Amy Golding, Artistic Director of Curious Monkey and Director of Here, written by Lindsay Rodden. Leading up to the Friday, uh, much like the rest of the country, our building had been a hive of unusual and extraordinary activity. And amongst this haste of new information, one thing that I was eager for us to capture was that raw and rare energy of a brand new important show that had just been made in our building and that was due to premiere that week. This podcast is being launched on the day when ordinarily I'd be chairing a post or discussion with Amy. So instead, we've woven it together into this 45 minute podcast, including beautiful music from the show by composer Nirashini Tamba. The recording of the conversation that took place um, was on stage one, but you're hearing me now uh, and the questions throughout the podcast um, and my dulcet Yorkshire tones from my phone microphone in my spare room. So like all good conversations, it began with getting to know just who Curious Monkey are and what their new show here is all about. And so here's Amy Golding to tell you more. what we do is bringing people together like that's the the biggest part I think of Curious Monkey is about bringing all sorts of different people together to help make um, and to come together to talk about and and create um, theatre and other things actually now we you know we create all sorts of other things now we started as very much a theatre company and and we still call ourselves that but we make 360 films we're going to be running salsa classes and yoga retreats and all sorts because of the people that we've collaborated with in the community that want to do that and so we're kind of going in all sorts of directions now but um but that's the main thing is that we work with people from from communities and we bring them together with professional artists um theatre makers uh and we co-create um and here uh is a show that we've been making over the last two years with lots of people from from all over the world actually who have ended up living here in the northeast um or in derby so we did some of the the work in derby as well um, and they're here seeking sanctuary for whatever reason that may be, that they had to leave their own country. Um, so the play is uh, an exploration of that. It's about, um, it's about a community, happens to be biker um, in Newcastle, where there's lots of people living from all over the place who have ended up there, and about what that's like having a community that's very mixed and, and what are the things that are um, bubbling in the background um, as sort of friendships form and, and relationships form. 
As a sector, we talk a lot about the different processes and methodologies that different kinds of artists use or try or experiment with or develop in order to make work that speaks to us and to the people who we're making the work with. We sometimes refer to that as co-creating. Many of us are passionate about forging ahead with new ways to tell new stories that we believe to be missing on our stages and in spaces in our cities and towns and villages. We were keen to find out more about how Amy and her team shift and develop their practice from idea to idea. I guess it's some, it stems back really from uh, when I set up the company, um, which at the time, when I set up the company, it was called Theatre Oricaria, um, and Oricaria is the name for a Latin name for a monkey puzzle tree, um, which uh, my mum's a botanist and, uh, and I love monkey puzzle trees. Um, and it was a brilliant image for a logo, but it was really tricky because nobody could spell it or Google it or pronounce it. So we ended up being Curious Monkey. But anyway, the, when, when I first set up the company, I was at a kind of... Um, interesting place in my career really with what I wanted to do. Um, I've come from a sort of applied theatre, youth theatre, um, community theatre background um, and that's everything that I was doing and then when I was working at live theatre I was getting the opportunity to direct more in terms of professional theatre um, and it sort of felt like at that point in time and that was like eight years ago that it was a kind of do I go and be a, a jobbing theatre director and get gigs and do plays and work for lots of different theatre companies and organisations and um, or do I continue and work in participation and, and co-creating which probably wasn't even a term then um, and it didn't feel like at that point it was kind of normal to do both of those things um, or to have a company that, that its reason for being was kind of both of those things. Um, and actually that's where it came from. It was like, I need, there's, story, there's people I really want to work with and stories I really, really want to tell. Those that aren't, that aren't talked about, that aren't, that we're not seeing on our stages, that are, that um, people who, are, who don't necessarily have that voice because they're not engaging in, in, uh, in theatre potentially because of their life circumstances and because of barriers um, so to be able to do that but go no I'm not going to make a piece of community theatre I'm not going to make a piece of youth theatre that feels like the production values aren't brilliant or it's not professional or it's not excellent or it's not um, going to be on the same size stage as a professional piece I'm going to do both of those things and actually I'm going to put those people at the heart of a process and a project but the play that we're going to make is going to tour to great theatres around the, around the country and internationally hopefully and or, you know we have a bit in the past and um and and and, put, and platform those in a different way because I think there's you know sometimes there's this sense of and I think what the young company is doing is so brilliant because I think you also break that you absolutely break that mold of oh haven't they done well haven't those young people done well or haven't those vulnerable people from a community done well or and I really hate that it really pisses me off that kind of attitude of um it doesn't have to be brilliant um because it can be brilliant and and I think it should be brilliant because it's then valuing those people and also knowing what people are, are, are capable of so Troop is now our group that's a regular group um of young people who have experience of care 
uh, and all of those members actually now are different from those that were with us when we were making Leaving. But when we finished making Leaving, we were like, oh, okay, we've made this show now, and we've got this group of people now, and we've been working with them for two years, and well, we can't just say goodbye to them. It's not like, oh, okay, end, end of that project, on to the next, yeah. see you later. They were like, well, we want more. We, and actually, we want to make now because they, didn't, they had no interest in performing, actually. They just were interested in watching theatre, talking about theatre, and some of their stories influencing the piece. But they actually, none of them wanted to perform. They were interested in, in um, shadowing stage managers and, um, and the sound designer and things like that. But, um, but then after... Uh, after leaving, there was people in that group who were like, "Okay, we want to make something now," and and so we made a 360 film. But anyway, the process started with that group and and also with the group of people who we've met through here, with going on theatre trips, and it started really as a social thing and a way to build trust. So we were kind of, if we can just invite people and just say, "Look, we think theatre's for everybody. We know that you're probably." Uh, not coming to the theatre for whatever reason that might be, whether you can't afford it, whether you don't think it's for you, whether nobody's taken you, whether whatever. Um, so if we can break down all the barriers, so we'll pay for your transport, we'll sort your ticket, we'll kind of hold your hand through the door until you feel confident to come in the building, we'll have food together. Um, food and eating yeah. together is a, is a massive part of our process and we do that on all of our projects now. Um, not, and some of that is about, yeah, some people might not have eaten that day, but also it's about the best conversations happen over food. Um, it's a, it, it's a, a family thing. And for some of the people we work with, they might not be, have a family or be with their family, um, whether that's because they're an asylum seeker and they're here on their own or whether that's because they're a care leaver and they're living in independent, you know, living now. Um, so they don't have a busy children's home or foster family around them. Uh, so it, it's that sense of kind of coming together. And actually, we, for both of those projects, they sort of started with theatre trips where we just saw work and talked about it. Because to then ask the question, uh, do you want to be involved in making a piece of theatre with us, had some kind of context to it. Because actually, you know, some of the people that, um, some of the, uh, the people who are seeking sanctuary, who we're working with for here, have never been to the th had never been to the theatre before. Um, also, some of the young people, some of them had been to the theatre, but not in this country. So different context, cultural context. Um, so we were like, okay, let's just go and see loads of stuff, loads of different stuff from like contemporary dance to like slapstick to drag to like new writing. You know, we've been to see all sorts of different things. Some things people have absolutely loved. Some things people have just not understood any word of it at all. And some things people have not liked that much. Uh, and it's been really different, you know, responses from different people. But it was only after we, so for here, we went to the theatre every month for six months before we even, we were kind of saying, oh, and we're going to be making a play. We're, like, Curious Monkey is also making a play. So if you want to be part of that further down the line, great. But for now, we're, we're doing trips. And through doing those trips, we just, we made friends. We, it was about friendship and trust. Because um, at the beginning, we were like, who, you know, if we go in, if we go in and do a workshop, say, like a taster workshop, we tried some of this. We did a lot of them um, try, trying things out and them not working. Um, particularly with um, uh, refugee and asylum seekers, because 
we don't people can be really suspicious about people asking for a story and I, and and we never absolutely never wanted to do that like here is purposely not a verbatim play in the way that leaving was because we didn't we didn't want to ask anyone directly actually to share a story with us at all because if you're going through a home office um uh, appeal then you, you're asked questions about your life and your story all the time. And sometimes you're told, actually, I don't believe that, or where's the evidence for that? Or can you, um, can you go through that again? The facts, aren't, the facts don't um, line up or, you know. And, it's, and that's a really, it's a really difficult, difficult process. And the, and, the, and the play itself, actually, because it's set in a library and it's all about stories and it's all about books and it's about who like owns your story and how freely do you give it and who cares about your story and who so all the books in the library um in the in the set design for here there's lots of books that are really sort of precious and magic that kind of light up and they have names on them and they hold these people's lives um and they and and the library is kind of a, a metaphor for for Newcastle and the world, um, and that it's a space that looks after stories and looks after people's stories and books, and so, and we knew quite early on that um, that we wanted to care for for people and their stories, um, so. So we went, so we took people to the theatre and we said, let's talk about theatre, let's talk about other stories. Um, and then we, once people were interested, we started running workshops and we found different ways in. So actually through a, a book, um, The Other Side of Truth, which is a brilliant novel by Me uh, Beverly Naidu, um, which is actually a teenage novel, but I recommend anybody read it. It's, it's the experience of two young um uh, Nigerian children who end up in London on their own as unaccompanied minors um, and it's about them uh, their experience of, of um, finding their way here and starting school here and trying to get be reunited with their family here and um, and originally I was really interested in that particular story but we used it as a kind of a jumping off point really rather than a, a sort of adaptation because that's not really the way that we work um, but uh, but that sparked really interesting conversations. So we shared little bits of that book um, in different contexts, and then and then some people did want to talk because they were because people would say, oh, there's I remember being in Luna House actually, and I there was a chapter that was set in Luna House and describing that place, and a lot of people recognised that and wanted to talk about that. Um, people were really interested in talking about Nigeria and the politics, which then led on to people wanting to talk about the politics of their country or about colonialism in general or about, you know, and so we'd go on big, massive debates and conversations that would be sparked from a little passage from this book or a chapter from this book. And we got to Skype with Beverly Naidu, the author, and see her archive that's at Seven Stories and kind of... Um, she's a, She's like a real amazing activist um south african writer white south african writer who um during apartheid was a kind of freedom fighter um and was writing so she was the first person to write from the point of view and experience of a, a black south african child um, and her book journey to Joburg got banned um, and she was essentially exiled and so she came over to to this country but meeting her and learning about her process was so interesting like seeing how an author creates a novel 
um, who's also an activist and also her process was a form of activism so in it in her archive at seven stories there's all these like letters that she wrote to like shell um about what was happening with the agoni people in um in nigeria and ken sarawira and anyway really political woman and and having a conversation with her and then equating it to to us and our journey um which is kind of a, a journey of activism because actually this play is about changing perceptions and it's about um seeing people as humans and not for them for the kind of the labels or the things that that um that may define them um and and not about their experiences in their own countries but actually just about people who are living in a community together here and um and all the work that we've done around it is um it's not really overtly political but it is absolutely political um so it was just really really great to be inspired by her and her um uh, her process as well when we were kind of making the show. And so what new things did Amy discover during the making of Here? Well, it's interesting because compared to leaving, um, which was a, you know, it was a recorded delivery verbatim show that was abs the absolute verbatim words of all of these people that we'd interviewed from, you know, from all over. Um, and actually this is, uh, and for Curious Monkey, it's quite unusual. This is a, is a, is a play. It's a two act play with four protagonists. Um, telling Ford stories, which is was really challenging for Lindsay because we were like, we're not going to have one protagonist because all four of these have to... So finding a way to find a resolution for all of those characters. But um, it's... Uh, yeah, it's, it's a... It's a it kind of does have a play structure, a tr more of a traditional play structure, although it's not, a, it's not a traditional. It's a piece of new writing and it's very new in terms of its kind of content and themes and, you know, all of that. But it is a, it is a two-act a two-hour, two-act play with a big, like, um, climax and a, and a beautiful, hopeful, like, completely devastating resolution at the end, you know, that's, that takes you on this journey. Um, and, and, it's just, and also, it's beautifully poetic because Lindsay, as a writer, is, has this beautiful um, sort of lyrical um, kind of style uh, and she's got just things like the, the so the play follows um, a year so it starts in April and ends in April um, so it follows the season so there's this whole beautiful theme of weather all the way through and about how the weather is kind of outside but is kind of inside them and inside their lives and the leaves are whirling around their head or the blossom is landing in their hair or the snow is reminding them of the mountains of Kurdistan or like it's just got this beautiful imagery around weather and seasons and, the, and this year that passes and there's all these things that reprise, like there's, there's moments of sunset and there's moments of sunrise. There's a moment of sun, uh, sunset when they're sat on the roof of Biker Wall. And, and Nirashini Tamba, who makes the music, has made this incredibly emotive, like gorgeous score as well. So there's this bit where, and this is the bit in tech where I <laughs> literally cried because this was the point where I was like, I can't believe people are not going to see this. I won't tell you what. 
when it is in the play, but earlier in the play, it's not at the end. There's a moment where they're sat on the top of Biker Wall and there's a sunset and there's this beautiful lighting design that Sai's done, Cy, Simon Cole. This beautiful music that's kind of um, like looking out over the city. There's this, all these lights come on and and there, and uh, and the th and three of the actors are kind of up there just, and yeah, this beautiful bit of dialogue. Anyway, at that point when we teched that and we saw how it was going to look, I literally like wept and was like this is literally going to be the most beautiful piece of theatre I've ever made in my entire life wow. like seriously it's gorgeous and I was like I can't believe that nobody is going to see it <laughs> in, in March 2020 yeah I just couldn't believe it and then yesterday so we um we were desperate to get to the end of the tech this week we were like when the announcement came from Boris on Monday that you know no social gatherings don't go to the theater it was just like are you for real like we're literally a week away um and because we've been in our theater bubble and we haven't really been watching the news that much or we've sort of been the thing is when you're making theater with a group of people it's so all-consuming like you're in that world we're in that we're in that team we're barely seeing our families and partners because then our heads are in it all the time and we're in that room together and no one else. So we were sort of self-isolating because no, we haven't seen anyone else. We haven't been with anyone else for like four weeks. And um, and the camaraderie and the friendships and the relationships and the up and down and the emotion. And it's a really vulnerable thing, like making a, a play when, you know, actors have to make themselves vulnerable in their performance. You as a director are kind of leading this group of people through this really sort of turbulent thing anyway that is the making of this play and creating this thing together and then you've got this sort of outside world shit that's going on that's just really huge but you're not actually really sure how huge it is until the moment when suddenly the theatres are closing and you know things are shutting down and you're like oh god so then we're on this like race against time and tech rehearsals are stressful anyway, you know, and they're slow and they're trying to get through them. So, and, that, and now we're not just in a rehearsal room, we're in a black box for 12 hours a day with no daylight and under the lights and everyone's hot and they all wear bloody bubble hats and big coats in the show and, and it's got loads of beautiful projection in it. So we've got this projector that's just like pumping out heat in the corner of the room. Um, so, so, yeah, stress levels were kind of like gradually sort of rising and then we'd have things sort of that would come into the room from the outside world and sort of infiltrate. So one, one of the actors came in one morning and was like, um, I've got to move out of my digs because there's a potential connection to somebody who might be coming to stay in the house with someone who might have had coronavirus, blah, blah, blah. So we're like, oh, okay. So then there's all this risk assessing going on as well of kind of like, and we basically we had to isolate him in his dressing room while we had this big conversation and rang up the digs woman and found out the like, the symptoms and all of this and just going, oh my God, uh, you know, thinking about liability, thinking about all of this, but also thinking about, we want to be able to just, I know this show can't go on anymore, but we want, we would love to get to the point where we can run a dress rehearsal and then film a show. Like that became our our aim and our goal. And then gradually it was like, okay, if we don't manage to film it, that may not happen, then okay, at least let's try and get a dress rehearsal. So at least they've run it just once with all the stuff. And then it was like, oh, okay, maybe that's not gonna happen. So maybe if we just get to the end of the tech, so we can just have it in the book and we can have all the lighting cues in the computer and we can have everything ready to go so that when it's time, it's easier to get it back up again. Um, so yeah, so and so all the boundaries kept changing, and then basically on Wednesday, 
some of, so some of the actors are well a lot of the team are not from Newcastle there was kind of a core of us from Newcastle and then some uh, sound designer is from Edinburgh one of the actors from London one from Norwich the designers from near Bolton way um and uh where was it? someone else from someone else I can't remember oh yes um Siler, light designers from Cumbria so it was kind of like they're all also having contact with all their families as this thing is unfolding and this nervousness is sort of creeping in and but we're all still going yeah but we can do it we can finish it before lockdown before you know not knowing and just not knowing what's going to happen when and waiting for these announcements and then something came out in the guardian and the financial times saying london's going to go into lockdown in like 24 hours and you're like is there is this a thing is this real this is the press who knows but basically at that point i was like i've just got to call it and we'd been sort of changing the the end point again and again and it got to Wednesday at tea time and we were 21 pages from the end of teching. And I was just like, or I was talking to the production manager and we were discussing like what watch to do. And I was like, or we could just stop. We could just stop and just let everybody go home and see their families and and be safe. And it's only fucking theatre. <laughs> like it feels like it's been the thing that we've cared about so much for so long but it's only a piece of theatre and people have to be safe and with their families. So we called it and we brought everyone together and it was the meeting and it was one of the actors, it was Karen's birthday it was, and we got her a birthday cake and we were all sat in stage two um, and I made this announcement like, okay, we're just going to stop and we're going to send everybody home now and um, people need to get on trains. We need to just make sure that people can go. Um, I burst into tears. <laughs> Karen burst into tears. <laughs> then we all sang happy birthday and then she, and then there was like, uh, just because it, you know, it was like we'd all just been driving towards this thing and I think as soon as, as soon as we said stop, it was like everyone just went, oh, oh God, like, like, and just nobody knew how to feel really. It was just really intense. Um, but anyway, we did finish tech. We just did it without the actors. So we sent everybody home who was from somewhere else. But Simon, the lighting designer stayed and he was like, Amy, I'm not going until these are all in the board. Um, so me and him um, and the production manager yesterday, we did it. So I had we had a work experience, a lovely work experience guy, Aaron. in. so he was standing in for all the actors and me running around the stage, getting the lighting states. Um, so we so we did manage to get it to a point where, you know, we've got something so that. Um, but yeah, that was the bit where I was like, <laughs> at the very, very ending, I was stood on stage being all four actors at the same time, <laughs> moving around and this beautiful projection comes up and this beautiful light state and then the rousing piece of music that ends the whole thing. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> and there's, there's so I've just opened this book because um, we, we counted up all of the people that we worked with who've been on this project and there's 80 people. So it's had, um, you know, it's not just that team of people who happened to be in that room in the tech week, yeah. who was about, I don't know, 10 people or whatever at the end of the process. It was from the three people that we met in that first session that we did at Gosford Civic Theatre to all of the people that come on the theatre, to, to the theatre with us, that have come to the workshops, who 
And now we have this WhatsApp group. So it's now like the arriving family. And all of those people who are in that WhatsApp group, we talk every single day and everyone looks out for each other and everyone kind of checks in with each other and everyone posts things. And now we're setting up like, how can we all stay in touch if we can't meet up? Um, and they're all having ideas about, you know, um, doing little food recipes and videoing them and sending them to each other. Um, Victoria, the Russian woman, um, she's does yoga, so she's going to do some yoga poses and pass them around to everyone. So just helping each other's sort of well-being and sanity and, yeah. And so in this play, how have the team brought together those rich experiences, politics and activism and created a new collectively owned story? Amy tells us more about how the heart of the play and its international lyricism arrived. So so the two, it started off that it was going to be kind of two protagonists and it was going to be two um, uh, friends, like two young young people who are friends. Um, and... And that came really from working in Biker Primary School. So some of the workshops that we did, um, uh, we had no idea this play was going to be set in Biker until we worked with this group of um, year five, year six. Um, and they were a really mixed group of young people, some who were uh, here from all sorts of different countries and some who were kind of born and bred in, in Biker. Um, and, uh, and at that point, uh, Lindsay had this gold notebook it was like a gold sparkly notebook and we went in and we were like okay you guys we're inviting you guys to be advisors to the writer we want to write about some young characters who have come to live in Newcastle um, from somewhere else and we want you to help us kind of form them and create them and uh, and so they and they were really excited by this gold notebook and this kind of role that they um, they got to take on there's a whole theme of graffiti in the play as well and the different graffiti that, um, that you see around Biker, um, which kind of came from, from those young people, but also just us walking around that community. Because we did, it's great that, um, it, basically because we did work in that school and it was not because the play was going to be set there, it was because we wanted to work in a school that we knew was really di culturally diverse and had lots of young people from different places in. And then it, because Raby Street rehearsal space, Northern Stages rehearsal space, happens to be next to that school, which was a great connection as well, we did some of our R&D, a kind of research and development time in that space and then started walking around Biker and we just became really fascinated by that community and the buildings and the graffiti and the greenery in between. So the thing about Blossom um, comes from the fact that there's this incredibly sort of Lego box kind of uh, weird sort of colourful balcony, you know, this big massive wall that sort of shuts off the motorway and then all of this like colourful balconies and all these different houses. And in the midst of it, there's all this green and it's beautiful. And when you spend loads of time there and there's all these blossom trees and all this blossom kind of blows through. Um, so Lindsay kind of got, yeah, I think that's where it started. So it started with blossom and it moved from blossom to seasons to kind of um, this sort of, yeah, spanning this year. So that was one thing. It was being in that school and uh, and being in that space that, that kind of... Um, and then one of the characters is very 
influenced by a particular person who um, who we know from the group who we're really um, I mean we're fond of everybody in that group but really fond of um, so we there, and it was a much later character so we had these two female sort of teenage protagonists and then we had this um, I can't remember where the library contacts came from I think that was just the thing about stories and books and because we started with this this story this um, uh, Beverly Naidu story um, so then we were like we need this librarian and then we were really interested in all the stuff the biker and biker revisited you know Circa's um, exhibition um, and how and what biker used to be like so then we were like oh isn't it wouldn't it be interesting if it's a character who lived in who was brought up in the old biker and actually to think about how that how that's changed for that person and because we wanted to work with Karen Trainer, because she came into one of the R&Ds just as an actor to play around within the room in an R&D and after that we were like oh well, she's kind of got to be in it now hasn't she because she's <laughs> bloody great and um, so the character became Glaswegian um, Glaswegian Geordie because she, because of because of her accent and where she's from but we were like that's perfect because actually that character is somebody who um who lived here when it used to be as it was and then when it all got knocked down and the whole um, community changed and the estate was built she moved away and now is coming back and it's really different and it's really much more culturally diverse and changed so it's kind of it would give that perspective of what is it like to look at a community through through different eyes in a different time and space because she'd had that distance and been away and come back. So that was a really, really helpful that Karen happened to be Scottish <laughs> there, um, that then really helped the story develop in that way. Um, and, then the, and then the fourth character came later because we did a lot of R&D um, with, the, with the first three actors. And again, the two other, act, uh, the two other actors, um, we worked with Arietta um, and Joanna so those characters became Albanian and Angolan because those actors were were um, so Arias is from Kosovo and um, uh, Joanna's from Angola, because uh, at the moment, because at that time we knew we wanted a character that was probably from somewhere in Africa and a character that was probably from somewhere in Eastern Europe, but yeah. we didn't know where. And then we were like, okay, well, we want them to speak their own languages. We want them to play authentically, and can help with the development of those characters and help with the sort of. Uh, background and research of those characters because they have those experiences and both of those um, um, both of those actors are, refuge are refugees um, or came here as refugees originally. Um, so then the fourth character was a bit of an unknown but then there's a guy in the group and I won't name him um, but um, who we're really fond of and he has uh, been in this country uh, for f was in this country for 15 years before getting his leave to remain. So literally was living in limbo with no, um, uh, not being able to work, not being able to kind of have, you know, many rights and um, living on in kind of asylum seeker uh, accommodation, living on really small amount of money, um, uh, being moved around a lot, having appeals that failed and all sorts of things. Uh, and he's also a very, uh, sort of intellectual kind of literary kind of guy so so we created this character of Salim who is partly inspired by this guy a bit and partly inspired by lots of other things who was a poet a Kurdish poet um, and actually he was the last character to be written um, 
but then when Lindsay found him and got and he she just was on a roll and then these monologues that just these beautiful because Lindsay loves the poetry of of um you know she writes with that beautiful uh, poetic style anyway um his voice came really quickly and easily um and, but we, without having an actor which was quite unusual because the other characters had developed really through the actors and the work with the actors and then this character hadn't it had just come and just been written on the page and then we had to find an actor to to play it and um, which is how we found Mora and we did lots of auditions with um uh, kind of middle eastern um uh actors and and he was like uh he was perfect and actually the audition uh, one of the scenes one of the funniest scenes in the in the play there's a brilliant scene where they end up dancing in the library and like and the librarian's just had it and she's just like I give up like she's just fighting against like the library being closed down against austerity against everything about trying to keep order trying to sort out her life trying to she's got all these people that she's kind of inadvertently ended up kind of caring for and looking after even though she doesn't really want to because she's a bit grumpy and and in the end she's just like I don't care. And one of the girls is playing her mobile phone really loud in the library and she just loses it and she just plugs in her phone. She's just like, let's just have some music. I don't care. And it all causes like chaos in the library. Anyway, they all end up dancing. And uh, and this scene, they uh, it was a sort of half formed scene. Um, but we knew we wanted Janet to do something, the librarian Janet to do something that you wouldn't normally do in a library at yeah. some point in the play. And we didn't know what that was and we didn't know how it would happen. So in the audition, we asked them, we asked the character, we asked Karen to improvise with all of these actors who were coming in to, to audition for Salim. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, and we were like, basically we want you to try and um, get Janet to loosen up in some way or to get to, you know, and some of the actors kind of took it in a way and sort of, I don't know, wanted to come on to her and we were like, oh, no, no, that doesn't feel right. That's not Salim. Um, or like, you know, it's a bit flirty. We were like, no, 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 it's not. Anyway, Morat, and I'm not going to tell you what he did because this is a spoiler, but um, he, his improvisation was so hysterical um, and Karen's like genuine reaction to it with like utter surprise of what he did and, and um, in the library. It made it directly into the play. And Lindsay was just like, we've got to cast him because that's not only is he, he was perfect for the part, but I, we have to have that <laughs> improvisation in the play because it was just like a brilliant, perfect moment. Um, so some things just came like a surprise like that out of a moment of, you know, meeting an actor and them connecting together. As a maker myself who works in a very similar way, I was really interested to know what were those moments during the making process, those sparks of ideas that then became the things to hold on to, and also what it was like when everyone who has collaborated comes together and starts to see those new ideas take shape. So we, um, we, we invited in members of the group to every time that we had an R&D. So every time we got together with um, the actors in the room and any of the creators in the room, then we would always invite um, the group to kind of be there. And, uh, and we would get um, 
we sort of found this way of doing sort of big mass group improvisation. So finding a um, like finding something that we thought was the the seeds of a scene that we might be working on. So for instance, the climbing of the climbing up of Biker Wall yeah. um, was something quite early on that Lindsay was like, I want this girl to like climb to the roof of Biker Wall and graffiti on it and do, you know and, and look out over the city at some point. Um, so we did that scene. We've done it with like, we did it with the kids in Biker Primary School. We did it with a group of um, young Kurdish lads in, um, they weren't all Kurdish actually, from all over the place, but there was a sort of core group of Kurdish lads in Derby. Um, we did it with the sort of adult group who's like our kind of core family group, the, you know, the WhatsApp group guys who um, who we work with all the time here. Uh, and we... And we improvised that and we just set out like loads of obstacles around the room and basically like everyone was like pretending to climb up bike a wall but like over chairs, under tables, like over and kind of helping each other and helping Janet who was like scared of heights and um, and getting up there and thinking about well, what would you write if you could write something for everybody to see. If there was a story or a, a phrase or a thing that you need people to hear that you want to be out there, what is... And, and we were and we were allowed to do that. Like, what would you want to say? Like, what would you want? And you can write in your own language, whatever that. And it doesn't matter if we can't. You know, you can translate it for us if you want to, or you don't have to. And we would get like big rolls of paper, big sheets of paper, and set up this whole sort of obstacle course, and then have all these pens and just get all of this, like scrawling of people's, um, just what they wanted to get out there and what they wanted to say. And and that was. Um, that was just a really beautiful thing that we'd done. We sort of reprised with lots of different people and became sort of, this has to be, there has to be a moment of this in the play, you know. Um, and we did another, um, so we would usually share a scene, like if we'd been working on a, sh on a scene, we would share a scene, but then we would find a way that everyone would be invited into it. Yeah. So like working out who all the people were in the library, we did these big massive sort of, not, yeah, kind of durational improvisations of like, uh, so so Karen would play the librarian. She would greet everybody at the door and they would bring in some kind of character. So they had to have a, a, a who they were and why they were using the library. So we could get a sense of what is this place to people? You know, what is this place of sanctuary um, for people? And there was loads of stuff about um, keeping warm, about um, cups of tea, about um, internet, like we take totally take for granted and we are absolutely now gonna take for granted if we're all in self-isolation. Think of the people that don't have yeah. Wi-Fi. Yeah. Like, think of the people that just don't have enough credit for enough data to be able to have that all the time. And so many of the vulnerable people who we're talking about here don't have that. And libraries is where people go to contact people back home, yeah. to talk on Skype, to do all of their um, like, uh, life admin of like trying to sort out your bills or trying to sort out your universal credit or whatever that is that you need to do online that people are doing that in a library yeah. and um and that was a real and I kind of sort of knew that but I haven't really thought about it until we did like that big improvisation and and we had all those people and what they were using the um the library for and then we'd throw in some kind of um uh, thing like like the Wi-Fi's gone off in the library, <laughs> like and everyone would kind of kick off, or the lights have gone out. There's like a, there's a power cut in the library, or you know we'd throw something in to make the improvisation more exciting. Um, but uh, yeah, so they, so so and that was a really sort of safe and easy way for people who, because um, again this group, some of them are interested in performing and getting up and playing, and some of them are really not. Um, 
But things like that people could get involved with because those that were like, well, I'm just going to sit and read a book. <laughs> That's what I go to a library to do and I don't really want to get into a big improvisation, but I'm happy to just sit here and pretend to read a book for, um, for 10 minutes, you know. We talked with Amy about Curious Monkey's first show, Beats North, written by two brilliant writers, Luke Barnes and Ishidin, eight years ago on stage one and Northern Stage, right the way through to here. And Mark asked the question, how has this journey changed the company? And what has Amy learned about the North East? What have I learned about the North East? Um, that it's just full of some just brilliant people, um, firstly. Um, people that have got stories, um, people that want to be creative, um, uh, a really wonderful and supportive kind of theatre ecology, which... Um, I don't want to leave um, and I don't want to go and do it anywhere else. Like in the midst of all of that as well, I did go off and do a claw fellowship for a bit, which was the one time that I kind of uh, left the northeast in my professional life and could sort of see it from the outside for the first time because I was spending time in lots of other cities and doing a lot of kind of professional development stuff and 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 bigger talking about the cultural sector and see, you know working in the Young Vic in London for a bit on on a secondment there and so kind of having a different perspective and and what that made me realize is um firstly that I really really missed here and I wanted to come back um and and secondly that um sometimes we can be a bit inward looking um and that some and I think that's changing and I think that's really good that it's changing um uh but that it's but that it's supportive and it's passionate and it's like, I guess that's about the kind of theatre industry really. Um, and, that I, and that we have a place here, you know, that we're, I think I used to think like success would be like, oh, one day I'll direct a show at the National Theatre or one day I'll like do something on a big massive stage or, um, and you sort of have ambitions, don't you? And you kind of think I should be go heading in that direction or I should want that. And actually, how I've changed and what I've realised is that um, um, having an impact, a, like a, a long-term impact on people's lives and not doing projects that we just sort of go in and go out of and, um, and building long-term relationships and making real change on an individual level but on a societal level, on a kind of people who can because they're influencers or decision makers or whatever, can actually make some change. Um, for me, success is about, is about those people being involved with seeing, sharing, learning from our work. Um, and to me, that's m I feel like that's success to me now rather than going, I'm probably never going to direct a play on the National Theatre stage because I've made the choices that I've made to stay in the North East and do something with a small company, which is now... I mean, God knows what's going to happen in the next, like, however many months or whatever. But until this virus came, we were in a pretty stable place. Yeah. Um, and that's taken eight years to get there of yeah. real kind of hard work and grafting and it being, you know, mine and Jenny's, you know, I haven't even mentioned Jenny, uh, who, who's obviously my partner in crime with, with Curious Monkey, who, who set it up with me. And, um, and we put a lot of, you know, love, sweat and tears into into building this thing and now it's at a point where um 
people trust us and people want to see the work and people want to be involved with it. And also, um, uh, there's kind of people who we know, we've got connections with people who can make differences. So like the connections that we now have in the, in the within the care system and within um, that kind of network within charities and uh, local authority and children's services and um, you know bigger players in in that world like Bernardo's or like you know um, the big sort of care leavers uh, kind of networks we're we're part of that now and and we know that we can put on events and we can put on work that will that will be listened to and, and people will say oh you you can you help us to get young people's voices out there to the people who can make changes for them, real changes for them? And people trust us to help that happen now. I te can I just say, if you bought a ticket to see it this time, please come and see it when it, when it actually happens and bring all of your, all of your people because it's so, like, you know, there's gonna, be, uh, there's gonna be such a sense of anticipation now. Like for that cast, I just felt, I mean, for, I was sad for myself and for Lindsay and for the play and for the group of people who this whole project and this whole thing is representing. But I felt most sad for the cast who have learned all those bloody lines. <laughs> like seriously, it's like a really, there's just so many words in it. And, and three of them are speaking English as their second language and they've learned this whole script in English. There's little bits of other languages in it too. And just, I just thought, oh God, if they never get to say those words on a stage, do you know what I mean? Or if they do, but nobody comes because people are still afraid to go out or, cause it's not just about the theaters opening again. It's about the, yeah. the, the confidence to, for people to go out into the public. And we don't know when that's gonna be and we don't know how long that's gonna take, but I just hope we get to a point where people do feel like they can come. I mean, and hopefully people will be gagging to see something by the oh, time yeah, they've been in their houses for however long. It was such a pleasure to spend that time talking with Amy and to hear from her and her brilliant mind. And as Amy says, please do see this new play in its future life. As uncertain as things may be at the moment, one thing that's certain is that great big international stories full of heart and detail are and will be as vital as ever. And of course, the other vital ingredient is you, our audience, and that space in which stories are shared live in a room where we are all in that moment together. Our huge thanks to Amy Golding and all of her creative team and collaborators. Thank you to Mark Melville who has edited this podcast and to you for sharing this pocket of time with us. Do let us know how you found this experience and do please take a look at the show notes with links to all of the creative team and useful resources and websites. Take care, everyone, in the meantime, and we'll catch up again soon.